You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. scriptures first we're going to go to judges four but head to the book of colossians if you'd like if you want to make your way to judges we will get there sometimes we in the past have read another portion of scripture before we get to where we're at and today is one of those days where we're just going to be kind of reading through our text through the account in the book of judges but i wanted to start out here amongst other places in the book of colossians so chapter one verse nine and I want to read through verse 14. And so if you want to make your way there, Colossians 1.9. As you're on your way there, I've got one picture from last week. This is from Madeline. She's not here to be embarrassed that her picture's up here. But Madeline drew this, and I, I love it. I'm thankful for any pictures we get. And it's, it talks about Deborah there. Has not the Lord told you to gather your men? And Barak says to Deborah, will you go with me, pretty please? And uh, so she captured some of that account last week, and we'll be heading back there this week. But hopefully you found in your scriptures the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9. And so let's listen to God's Word. Here's Paul uh, in a prayer for this church at Colossae. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together again. Lord, when there is a deliverance to this kingdom, whom shall we fear or of whom shall we be afraid? And yet, Lord, we do find ourselves in our flesh, Lord, fearful and afraid and wandering. Lord, we thank You for Your might. We thank You for the reminder of First Peter as well. It's Your work. You're the Mighty One at work in us. And I pray, Lord, as we head to the Old Testament, we head to this book of Judges with all its different narratives and, and stories within that You would guide us to understand Your Word and be encouraged, once again, setting our eyes on our Almighty Lord and Savior. So guide our time by Your Spirit, we would pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you can head back to Judges chapter 4. So if you're not there already, find Judges chapter 4. And specifically, verse 11 is kind of where we're going to pick up on this account from last week. Last week we were introduced, lo and behold, Israel was in trouble once again. We met Jabin, the king of Canaan, and his general Sisera, or Sisera, oppressively ruling Israel 20 years. And then Israel cries out to the Lord for help. And so enters Deborah, who's a judge, and then there's Barak, this this military leader. 
And we spoke of the road that Barak was, was on. His, his current road had led him to, I believe, essentially be reprimanded by Deborah. Basically, why have you not acted on the Lord's command to gather your men and head out and fight this general, General Sisera? Has he not commanded you? Now, I'll grant in that question uh, found in, in um, oh, where is it here? It's in verse 6. Has not the Lord commanded? Perhaps there's a sense there that's more of a statement, like a has, you know, have I not commanded you, like this is the command. I, I could grant that I could see that. But even if that's the case, we, we, we saw last week just Barak's his, his timidity, his fear. After this promise, has the, the Lord's going to go with you. And then there's this fear, yeah, but, but Deborah, I want, I'll, I'll go if you go with me, and that, that'll work for my going. And, and so there's this weakness. And we see in Israel, I think, just a, a lacking in strong. Godward leadership, even of her, her men. We talked about some of the, about that. And we looked at this road for Barak, really a road of disbelief and therefore leading to disobedience, not following through. And yet, as we ended on verse 10, there is this, this glimmer of hope. There's Barak, he's waiting for Deborah, you know, pretty please, as Madeline drew there. And yet they do head out. We do see in verse 10, Barak calls out Zebulun, Naphtali, calls them to Kadesh. We've got 10,000 men at his heels following Barak and Deborah going along uh, with him, which then brings us to verse 11. And so we're going to look at 11 through 24. I kind of want to lay out for you three different scenes of this movie called The Lord's Might. M-I-G-H-T. The Lord's Might. There's about three scenes going on that we're going to look at through 11 through 24. God is at work. He is at work all throughout this account in each and every scene. Even when it kind of looks like, where's God? What's He doing here? And we can step back from this again and draw courage and strength from the Lord who is the Mighty One here. So look first at verse 11 as we begin in kind of the second act here. We had Barak and Deborah at, the, at her tree. Now they've left. And now here, here's verse 11. And this is just kind of inserted here. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaanim, which is near Kadesh. There's a name, right? Here in verse 11, we're, we're, we're learning a couple things and it just seems kind of random, like this verse is just kind of plopped right in the middle in verse 11. I thought we were going to the battlefield, and, and there's, just, there's a bit like not, not yet. We're, we're, here we're at an oak tree in Zanonim. A couple of thoughts here just before we would move on to look at this. Essentially, you've got one family group of the Kenites living in northern Israel. We learn Judges chapter 1, verse 16, the Kenites, that, that grouping had really settled with Judah, and that's in the southern part of the kingdom. So here's, here's a Kenite family. Here's Heber. Is he a prodigal? Maybe he's separated somehow from his family. Here's Heber and his family up in northern Israel, kind of, remember, uh, Sea of Galilee, kind of that area of Israel. And he's separated from his people and therefore living in the north. Now, one other thing you might see is you just kind of read through there. You see this, this Hovab or Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, 
I thought Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses, right? Or, this, or another name for Jethro was Reuel, used as well. So why Hobab here? Is this another father, you know, father-in-law of Moses? What's going on here? We're not into this. You can study that out, you know, figure it out, look at it up. Here's just one suggestion. One suggestion is the wording of when it says the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. It, it could perhaps mean something more than father-in-law or just any sort of in-law, brother-in-law, some sort of relation to um, the wife's side of the family. So perhaps Hobab is, is an in-law of Moses somehow, maybe not necessarily father-in-law. That's, that's just from the word there. You could study it more and have a great time going off into that way. We're not covering it. We've got, we've got to get to other things going on here. Okay. But again, coming back to verse 11, you don't see anything here. It says, and God was at work and all these sorts of, but what do we know that's going on here? God is at work behind the scenes already right here in verse 11. He's, he's at work in separating this Hobab, whoever he was, from his family even. I don't think this is endorsing family separation and dysfunction, all that sort of thing. But was God going to use even what looked like evil, maybe Hobab, separating from his family for a greater purpose? Absolutely he was. God is behind verse 11 as he's behind everything going on everywhere. And God is about to work through this separated family who happens to live in this tent somewhere near this oak tree near Kadesh. Okay, well, let's hold that. That's scene kind of number one. We'll come back to the tent. So those that know the story know that we will come back to the tent. But let's go to verse 12 in a different scene, 12 and 13. Scene number, number two here. It's really the scene of a battlefield. So look at verses 12 and 13. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Heroshet Hagoim to the river Kishon. So now we switch back from Heber's tent, back to the battlefield. Somehow Sisera, he's been alerted. Israel is on the move. Barak is on the move. He's gathering men. And so, too, Sisera gathers, calls out his chariots, specifically 900 chariots of iron and his men with them. I've got a map here to show you. Um, you're not going to see that great from back there. I did an exercise in seminary in a course called Biblical Geography, something like that. And they actually gave us, here's the map up here. I brought it up here with me. For people that love maps which I do, and maybe you don't. Uh, they gave us a map like this, blank. Take a marker and go find, you know, go find where these things took place. So I just took a picture of my map, and there's some other things going on here. But if you go to the next picture here, Caleb, we're in the northern part of Israel, and is the clicker up here? Hey, it's here. Um, oh, there we go. There we go. We've got a red light. So here's... Uh, here is where it's assumed Sisera is. There's kind of this valley, what, Valley of Jezreel here, Jezreel Valley. And here's this place, Ta'anak, that I think that's where Sisera was gathering his chariots of iron. So this kind of gives you an idea. Sea of Galilee right up here, okay, where Jesus 
many miracles, things around here. Okay, here, right here, you can't see it, but that right there is Mount Tabor. It's still there. You can look it up, Google Earth. It's still, you know, you can get a lay of this land. But if you can tell the elevations, this is high, and all this through here gets lower, and valley here, and somewhere through here is the Kishon, even a river flowing through here. Eventually, we're going to see this flight of the general over here, if you can remember. Caleb, you can just leave this up here. You can just kind of watch that and see uh, if you need to get an idea of where we're at. So here's Barak, Mount Tabor, 10,000 men going against Sisera and his men. doesn't say how many, but 900 chariots of iron, a, a strong, formidable force. Here's what one commentator says of the situation before Barak and this army. He says, All seemed to tell against Israel. All but this, that God had previously promised to draw Sisera and his army to the river Kishon and to deliver them into Barak's hand. Look in your text at verse 7 of this chapter. Verse 7 says, God says, right? Deborah's reminding Barak. God says, I will draw out Sisera general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. So Sisera, he's got the intelligence, he's gathering his troops for battle, but who is drawing him out? Who is behind this whole thing? It is God who's behind what is going on. The Lord is drawing him out. The battle would be Barak's to fight. Go fight this battle, and yet God is behind it all. So let's move on then, because we're close, and let's move on to then really this crucial verse 14 in Judges chapter 4. Now look back into the text. And Deborah said to Barak, remember she's with him, and we get, it, we get kind of an insight into the conversation. Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. So having gotten a lay of the land, kind of where we're at, here's this dialogue, and it's a fascinating account of Deborah's encouragement for Barak. Take the mantle of leadership, Barry or Barak. Go forward. This is, this is the day. It's literally like this the day. This is it. God's got victory for you today. Arise. It, even it's that, that past again, God has given. It's, it's already done. It looks to the future as a completed action. It's, he's already given. Barak must lead, but God has given. And so the crescendo of Deborah's encouragement here is that last, it's a question. Has not the Lord gone out before you? What's the answer to her question? It's yes, he has. He is in this. He is before you. So go. And here we see Barak. Not question. Okay, Deb, but I'm not going down this hill unless you keep coming with me because I need... He goes down. He went down. In the lead. 10,000 behind him. Last week I mentioned Hebrews 11. You'll find Barak's name there. It is there. And one writer, one commentator says this about this uh, Barak in Hebrews. He says, Barak was the military commander of the Israelite army who refused to take the field against Sisera 
and a confederate Canaanite army unless supported by the presence of Deborah, a prophetess. And here's what he says. But at the critical moment, he acted in faith when told to advance against a superior military machine with its 900 chariots. Barak's faith to lead the charge was spurred on by a vessel, an appointed vessel of encouragement named Deborah. God used Deborah. Deborah was the the reminder. She wasn't the power. She was the reminder, the encouragement. She didn't take over. Say, well, I'll go do this then. You just grab a lawn chair, watch this. No, there's encouragement. Has he not? Go. Uprise. You can do this. The Lord is with you. God is mighty, so go. We all need a Deborah. Or you are a Deborah to somebody else. We need others to spur us on to do the right thing. And yet we also acknowledge, so we have people around us, we acknowledge God has given us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. He's given us His Word. Now go and make disciples. We, We have what we need for the task He has given us to do all around us. We're well equipped. Will we go? Well, look at verse 15 then and 16, and let's watch God's hand at work. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hereshet Haguim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. The true hero here is not Barak or Deborah. It's the Lord who was confusing Sisera. Your, your text in verse 15 might say that um, the Lord confused Sisera, or, or I've got in the ESV, he routed Sisera. Flip your page to the right. Just look at chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And we're going to get to 5 because it's kind of this poetic way of looking back on all of what we're studying through just the narrative of chapter 4. But look at specifically verses 19 through 21. Kind of a recap in a way. The, the kings came. They fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Ta'anak by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon, remember that's a river, the torrent swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. And many think here, and and I can see this, that God perhaps brought a great rainstorm upon this battle. That this, this torrent of Kishon, this rain came down upon the Sisera and all his 900 chariots. And if you've ever ridden in a chariot, which I have not, there, there's not four-wheel drive on chariots. It's like two-wheel and sink in the mud. And that's what many people bring out. They, they, perhaps they sank all of them in the mud. God does that with an army of 900 chariots because He's mighty and He works in amazing ways and he is the hero of the battle here certainly barak is now faithfully in obedience he is faithful in obedience to go 
and do and take on Sisera. And the Lord is faithful in his deliverance. There's a contrast here, even of God's deliverance, we don't want to miss. Here's Sisera, commander of the 900 chariots. Even the word chariots, it comes up, I think, five times in this passage. Twice, it's to- we're told he's got 900 of them. Just kind of make the point. You know this guy has a lot of chariots, right? He's strong. And yet, what do we find him? He's fleeing by foot. He's running as fast as he can. The oppressor, Sisera, he's in a marathon race to get out of there. Because when God's people cry to their covenant father, he comes and he saves and he delivers. So we find the end of verse 16, no man was left, only Sisera running for his life. Which now brings us back to scene number one and this tent of Heber and specifically the tent of Jael, Heber's wife. Let's read verses 17. I'm going to just read through verse 20. And then try not. Don't read on. Just try to read up to verse 20. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, in the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a skin of milk, and gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Now hold on right there. I want to add a few comments before we read on. Verse 17 says something interesting. There is peace between Jabin the king and the house of Heber. You know it. You've heard that that Hebrew word shalom. There was shalom. There was peace between these houses. So this tent should logically be a place of refuge for Sisera. It should be. Unless the Lord is in the battle, then this tent is going to offer no peace for this general, if you remember how the story goes. Nonetheless, right now, it's peaceful. So Sisera heads inside to the tent. And there he asks for water, but Jael gives him milk. Even, um, again, over in chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, it says this of what she did. It says of Jael. It says, um, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent dwelling women most blessed. Now we'll just read verse 25. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. Now, I'm from Wisconsin, so you're thinking cheese curds. I don't. Probably not, right? Uh, here's what one, one thing says about these curds. Known generally as yogurt. Maybe that's what it was. It's commonly given by modern-day Arabs to those who are tired, and it's usually the only sustenance when one of their numbers is ill. So Sisera, he's got shelter. He's nourished. He's covered with a rug, whatever type of covering that was. He's got one last command for J.L. before he heads off to sleep. One last command. Remember, J.L., hey, watch 
the entrance. Watch out for me. And if somebody comes by, say, I'm, basically, I'm not here. So we just want to stop and say, okay, what's, what's odd about what we know so far of this house and this whole episode? So far, everything's going according to plan. I don't, Sisera, would, this is just normal. This house, they're at peace with Jabin, and maybe he knew the house, he knew of Heber, he knew this. Everything looks really, to use the phrase, hunky-dory. It's all, this is good place of refuge, which makes what comes next so unexpected. So look at verse 21, if you haven't read it already. But J.L., the wife of Heber, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him. Softly, not like, gent, like I don't want to wake him up. Softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. And you're thinking, what a headache, right, for that guy. Here's sweet little JL. I don't know what she looked like. She put away her milk, her curds, quietly smiled at Cicero's request. I'll stand at the door. You got it. You just head off to sleep. It's okay. And she goes. Here's little JL with her peg and her hammer. And boom, and it goes down. One commentary says this of her. Says the weapons JL employed to kill the sleeping Sisera were ones with which she was quite familiar, since she undoubtedly used them to erect her tent each time they made camp. They would have easily come to mind, and the stroke driving the peg through the skull into the ground would have been a natural one for her. She <laughs> what they're saying, she knew what she was doing. She wasn't like, What do I do? She knew this is where this goes, and I hit it right every time. I'm not sure the last time you ladies found yourself in the house with a two-by-four and a rolling pin, you know, to, to take on somebody, but this was not the normal day for a housewife at this time. But J.L., I believe, was going about the Lord's business. Now, not everybody sees it that way. Someone to look here, and again, I think we just got to hold the Scripture. Someone to condemn what she did. I don't agree. We're going to see in chapter 5, we just already read it, right? Most blessed of women be J.L. Okay? Now, the story is not, okay, everybody grab a tent peg today and go find your enemy, you know, and pound through their head. But God is a God of grace to His people, and He has led and moved such in her life of J.L. to deal with Sisera, the enemy of really God, as we're going to see in chapter 5. And he's a God of the unexpected. A house of peace became a house of judgment upon Sisera. He's also a God of his word. Remember that word to Barak? There's a woman. She will get the glory for the day. God's word is completely, to the letter, fulfilled. And so we join, verse 22 now, kind of a, a scene one to, or scene two with battlefield to this tent of Barak. So let's join Barak in verse 22 as he's looking himself for Sisera. Verse 22, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. 
and said to him, the, the wording's almost just like she met Sisera. Now she's out to meet Barak. Okay, she went out to meet him and said to him, come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. And maybe we wonder right here as Barak is looking at this scene before him, what went through his mind. There's two in this verse. There's not one. There's two of these behold. Behold, Barak was pursuing. And then there's, a, there's uh, another one here. Where is it in the text? Uh, there's two of them. Maybe it's not in the, the ESV here. In the translate, there's two beholds. Like behold, he's pursuing. Maybe it's right there. Behold, uh, come, that idea. But Barak goes into the tent, and there before him is Sisera, dead with the, the peg in his temple. He saw two things that confirmed Deborah's words of Judges 4, verse 9. Here's Jael, like, just like what we said, a woman. Must have brought back that prophecy, okay? Woman, glory. And here's Sisera, he's lying dead, who was sold into the hand of Jael, a woman. That was the, the wording from verse 9. The road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Barak sees that the word of the Lord has come to pass. But then our last scene, scene number three, the cameras kind of just pan out to a, maybe a broader view in verses 23 and 24 that kind of bring this section to a close. Look at those last verses. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. The one true God of the universe and of Israel graciously, this is of grace, he fought for his people. And he raised them up, making them stronger and stronger, eventually to break the bonds of Canaan from upon them. Think of how this account starts. It starts back with Israel in evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. 20 years of oppression. Barak is timid. He's fearful. And it now ends with Israel growing stronger and stronger, all by the hand of their faithful and mighty God. So next week, we're going to head into chapter 5. We're gonna, like I said, we're going to take that poetic look kind of back on all of this, what we've read. I just want to close with just one point of application as we close out chapter 4. And it's this. I want to bring out to your attention just how many times we see the word go. And you might not see it so much in the English, but I think you, I think you will. We see it in this text. Look at verse 6, chapter 4. Deborah commands Barak, verse 6, she commands him to go, right? She asks the question, has not the Lord of God of Israel commanded you, go? There's this word, go. And then you get to Barak after this, kind of this, this great command. It, God's going to give this into your hand. And he says, again in verse 8, if you will, you see it there, go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not 
go. And then she says, I will surely go with you. There's just go, this going here that we find. All the same word. That it's the, the Hebrew word is halak. You don't have to remember that, but just, okay, there's a Hebrew word for go here. But there's also another going, and we see it in verse 14. Come back to 14 one more time. And it's the question that Deborah asks at the end. Well, I guess it's middle of the verse. It's that question, does not the Lord go out before you? And I thought, okay, we're looking at all these words of go. If uh, Barak's supposed to go, halak, and then we're going to see God's the one that he actually is going. And so is it the same halak, the same word? And you look and it's not. And it's a different word for going. And I want to whet your appetite for words and and language because it matters. The going here is actually a different word that God would go out before them. And it's the word yatsa. You ever play yatsi? Something like, you know, it's yatsa. It's it's a way of saying going. The word halak is a general idea of going. General term. Barak, he's going or walking. Halak, to walk. He likes to walk. That's how you can remember it, to walk. But then there's this other going of the Lord that we find in verse 14. And guess where else we find it? We find it in the account of the exodus of God bringing His people out. Brought out. We see this word there. Here it is in Exodus 13.3. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out Yatsa, not halak, he yatsa, he brought you out from this place. It's what the Passover celebrates. It's God's strong hand of deliverance. So, while the Hebrew, what's what's the point? We are to go. Jesus said, go, make disciples. And yet, behind all of our going and our walking is and is standing this mighty one, the Lord who goes before us. He's the God behind every leader, behind every home that looks to Him. He's the mighty Lord. His Son, Jesus Christ, He's the true tent of shalom, the tent of peace for us to enter. We find a refuge in Him. An eternal refuge to all who would look to Him for forgiveness of sins. We read Colossians. Remember what we read just minutes ago? Verses 13 and 14 says of this God, He has, remember it, delivered us. He's delivered us. From where? From from an enemy, a temporary thing, a, a temporary setback? No, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to a kingdom, the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, that Son, Jesus Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We can walk. We can go. You can bear fruit for the Lord. He has delivered us. We've been born again. Those, If you're in Christ, you've been born again to a new kingdom, a kingdom of light and power and grace and strength. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that the promise of a mighty God to go with your people was not just a random account. 
These accounts are all over the place in your scriptures. And ultimately, the deliverer is fulfilled in the coming and reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, may we walk, may we go out, may we not be like Barak early on that was timid and fearful, but may we go, may we make disciples right in the places you've put us, in our homes where it looks hard to do, in the workplace. May we live for you. May we go and bear fruit and walk in a manner that you say in Colossians, in a manner worthy of the calling. You've called us. You've delivered us from one domain and transferred us to a kingdom. May we live like we are subjects of a higher king, of King Jesus. And Lord, if there be areas in our life that do not look like we belong to the king, help us to take a hammer and peg and rid ourselves of them. But again, Lord, even in praying that, we fall before you and say, you must provide, you must work, your strength must overcome, for we are weak. Thank you, Lord, that we can cry out to you. You are a shelter for us, and we can wait on you, and we can draw strength and courage in you. Help us to do that this week in living for you. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.